provide for their needs. For each family here today, Father, I just pray that you would meet them where they are, meet us where we are, and your word would encourage us today, show us where we need more strength, more love for you. Father, we love you. We praise you for your grace in our lives, for the freedom you give us, Father, in all areas of our life. Help us, Father, to be an example to those around us. We talked today with the kids in the end of the village class. Even as they're young, they're to be an example to believers in their conduct and their life pattern. Help us, Father, all to be an example of what Christians really are, not just today, not just for this hour, but through this coming week. Encourage us, strengthen us to press on for your work of your kingdom this coming week. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, please open it to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. We'll be going all the way through verses 24 through 2, 5. Today we're going to be returning back to our study in Colossians. We haven't been there in a long time, so we're going to pick back up where we left off last year. Yeah, I know, last year. So I'm gonna begin. I'm gonna read, begin reading in verse 24, and go all the way to chapter verse five of chapter two. Here's the Lord's word. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of His body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches or the glory of this mystery, which is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I labor, struggling with all his energy that he works mighty powerfully within me. For I know, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that lay out of sea, for all those that have not seen face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with possible arguments, for though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is God's holy word. Please pray with and for me. Father, as we come to the preaching of your word, I pray that your spirit will move. I pray that your spirit will move in our hearts, soften our hearts. Um, We all are in different places. We all have different struggles. But we all have the same need of Jesus, regardless of where we are in life. That would never change. We need always need more of you, not less of you. And so my prayer is that you would meet us where we are today. Let us all receive the word that we need to hear so that we can go back out into this world and live and fight one more week. Help us to believe that you're with us. Help us to believe that this time and while we gather is not just something that we do. It's something that we need. I pray that we will be convinced of that. That we attend worship, we will attend corporate worship because we need it. We need to be 
with God's people. We need to be under the teaching of your word. We need to be singing your praises together in community as a corporate body. So, Holy Spirit, you are our deposit. You are the one that guarantees our inheritance. And so as our counselor, as the one who will remind us of all truth, please do that today. Please minister to our hearts, minister to our minds, minister to our emotions, all for the glory of Christ. It is in his name that I pray. Amen. My family and I went to a uh, birthday party yesterday at the home of of some friends. Uh, They were celebrating their oldest son's birthday. He turned 21. And so we had fun. It, It was a good time. But there was a little controversy that came up at the birthday party. You know, you go to the birthday party, you expect to have fun. You don't expect to have any type of conflict. So there was some controversy that came up. You see, some, some ladies, no, my wife was included in this, they got into a debate because one lady said, LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ladies stormed out of the house, denying the heresy. I thought earrings were getting ready to come out at some point. Because for some people, that, that, that's fighting words to say that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. It's all in good fun. Many people, myself included, consider Michael Jordan to be the GOAT of the NBA. And the GOAT is an acronym for a special title that's given to one particular athlete in any sport. It stands for the greatest of all time. An athlete has to grow into the GOAT, you see, in their particular sport. They become the greatest of all all time over an extended period of time. Michael Jordan did not enter the NBA as the GOAT. He grew into the greatest of all all time over the course of his long career. And he doesn't own the title. He doesn't have the exclusive rights to the title. It can be taken away from him. It can be passed on to someone else. And who knows? It could be LeBron James who eventually dethrones Michael. Michael Jordan is not irreplaceable as the GOAT. He is replaceable. He can be dethroned. He can relinquish the title. There is only one GOAT in the history of the world who would never be dethroned, who would never relinquish the title, who have all the exclusive rights to the title, and that's Jesus. Okay. Unless y'all know someone, something I don't know. And if you do, I can sit down and I can listen to you. He is and will forever be the greatest of all time in every way and in everything. And here's the thing. He did not grow into that title. He was born the greatest of all time. He was born that way. He was born the goat. And so there's no commentary. There's no need for any debate. There's no need for any discussion. Out of all the religious leaders in the world, Our religious leader, our Jesus, was born the greatest of all time. He never had to grow into the title. And so, in the words of Ric Flair, if you know who Ric Flair is, whether you like it or you don't like it, you learn to love it because it's the best thing going today. Jesus is irreplaceable. As the goat, he's irreplaceable in your life. Unless you know, unless you don't know something about him. You don't need less of Jesus. You need more of Jesus. 
And so if you're struggling today, it means you need more of him, not less of him. Our problem, definitely us in the American church, our problem is that we love Jesus less than we profess. And we love our life in this world more than we ever admit. And that's true of all of us. You love Jesus far less than you profess here each week. And you love your life in this world far more than you will ever admit it. You do. And so the question you have to ask yourself, what do I love more than Jesus in my life at this moment? What do you love? Don't let your heart deceive you. It drifts away from Jesus. It does place its affections on other people, places, and things other than him. So what is it for you? Who is it for you? The words of meditation that we, that we read today from T. Austin Sparks, I'm going to read them again. It says, whenever there is a departure from divine thought, whenever there is a, a loss of original revelation from God, whenever the, the heaviness and the spirituality and the divine power of that which is of God ceases to operate in the midst of his people, and whenever glory departs, the Lord's reaction to such a thing is to bring his son anew in view. We think it's go to another Bible study. We think it's add more things. It says you need to grasp Jesus anew if you're struggling in unbelief, if you're doubting. It's not running away from Jesus. It's not running away from the things of Christ. It's you drawing closer to the things of Christ. Paul does this in, in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. In those verses, when he talks about the supremacy of Christ, he's bringing Jesus anew into view. He recounts all the reasons why Jesus is the goat, all the reasons why he's the greatest of all time, all the reasons why he's irreplaceable. Many of you need to grasp Jesus anew this morning because you're spiritually dry. Going through the motions of it all, and you've forgotten your first love. Wondering. Drifting away. And the good news is that your heart can draw closer still. Your heart can come back. You can embrace his unconditional and sacrificial love for you. And when you are drawing closer to Jesus, you will mature in the greatest of all time. You will grow into mature believers. And mature believers, they have a certain swag about them. They, they are woke to the realities of life. For Christians in this world. And that's what Paul is, is talking about in, in these verses in Colossians. He's, he demonstrates a few characteristics that all mature believers share. That all mature believers grow into. Characteristics that you must grow into if you want to mature in Christ. This week I was invited to a luncheon by, um, uh, that was hosted by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And at this meeting, one of the FCA staff members told a story about a young lady named Madison Wood. She's an FCA college intern, and she's battling bone cancer. Young, 20, young, young lady battling bone cancer. But she hasn't given up on life. She hasn't lost hope. She perseveres. My closest friend in Huntsville had surgery this week to remove a spot on his lung that was left over from his colon cancer. But he hasn't given up life. He hasn't given up on life. 
He hasn't lost hope. He perseveres. And some of you know other Christians who are facing hard health issues, painful life circumstances, facing deep losses, but they haven't given up on life. They haven't lost hope. They persevere. And some of you are facing difficult life circumstances or health issues, but you haven't given up on life. You haven't lost hope. You're persevering. But there may be others of you who are holding on by a thread, who want to throw in the towel, who want to give up. You feel like hope is slipping away. And I want to say, stop. Be still for a moment. I want you to know that hardships, the hardships that you're facing and will face as a Christian, they aren't abnormal. They're normal. They're part of the journey for all Christian struggles. And I believe one of the reasons hardships in life are a shock to our Christian experience is because Christianity in America is failing us. We have a version of Christianity that overlooks one particular characteristic that every mature believer has to go through, and that's suffering. Suffering. If you want to mature in the grace of all time, if you want to grow in Jesus, then you will have to make peace with suffering. You will have to come to terms with it. It doesn't mean you just go out and intentionally look for ways to suffer. I mean, that's foolish. Please don't do that. Please don't go out and stand in the middle of the street and say, I can do all things through Christ. I'm telling you, you can't do that through Christ. Please don't do unwise things. The suffering I'm talking about is the suffering that will eventually come to you because you are a Christian. The suffering that you experience through the mundaneness of life. You will experience trials of various kinds. It means you will be woke to the reality that mature Christians grow into persevering sufferers. Persevering sufferers. Faith does not bulletproof you from suffering. Faith strengthens you to persevere through it. If you think coming to Jesus is going to be your bulletproof vest to say, nothing's ever going to phase me, I'm not going to ever go through anything, you're sadly disappointing yourself. You're setting yourself up for disappointment. Your faith strengthens you to persevere through the suffering. It's not a bulletproof or get out of jail free card. This is not monopoly. This is real life. And in real life, we go through stuff. We suffer through stuff. And if our faith is just in books and conferences and Bible studies, then you're not going to get through it. It has to be real. It has to be true. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? I know for young kids, they don't believe because you're young and you can do anything. You will go through stuff. I don't care how many degrees you get. I don't care where you go to school. I don't care how much money you make. You will suffer at some point in your life. You will experience loss some point in your life. And when it happens, what's going to get you through it? Faith. Your faith. Do you believe suffering is a characteristic of mature believers? Do you believe it strengthens your faith? Matures your faith. Do you believe that mature believers 
oppressor or or those who persevere through suffering. If you don't, then what Paul says at the beginning of these verses won't make sense to you. They will rub you the wrong way. They will irritate you. They will make you uncomfortable in your comfortable Christianity. Because let's be honest with ourselves this morning. What we love more than being Christians is being Christians in America. And those are two different things. I own mine. I love being a Christian, but I love it being a Christian here more. You may say, man, my past ain't very spiritual. Hey, I'm real with you about my struggles. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. I love being a Christian, but I love it here being a Christian more because it's comfortable for me. It's safe. I can come here and preach God's word and go eat and not have to worry about losing my life. The letter that Paul writes here is not written from a place of comfort. He's not in a comfortable place. He's not in a safe place. He's not writing from Easy Street. He's not writing from a mountaintop. He's not writing from some celebrity platform. He's not writing from a big conference. He's writing from a place of discomfort, from a hard place, a broken place, a suffering place. I call it Paul's letter from a Roman jail because that's where he's at. This brother is incarcerated, locked up. He's an inmate in the Roman justice system. Did you know that most of your Bible and New Testament is written by someone who did time in jail? <laughs> did you know that? He was in jail. He was on house arrest for two years. What, what do you mean, Alex? Paul had a record. He was in the justice system in the Roman culture. He had a record. He was a criminal, according to them. But yet we read it. He wrote half the New Testament. He had a record. And he tells us in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my present suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul is a living testimony that mature believers grow into persevering sufferers. How is that possible? How can he be rejoicing while in jail? I mean, really, I mean, it's Paul really pulling my leg. He's in jail, and he's saying, I'm rejoicing. I mean, come on, Paul. Be real with this. How, how can you be saying you're not rejoicing in your past suffering? You're rejoicing in the suffering, you, suffering you're currently going through. How? It blows my mind. Definitely for believers who don't think Christianity has a place for suffering, it will blow your mind. He's not rejoicing in suffering for suffering's sake. He's not a glutton for, for punishment. He rejoices for another reason. And it's for the sake of the Colossians. It's for the sake of the church. It's for the sake of Christ. Remember, Paul is in jail because of his faith. That's why he's locked up. Because of his faith. And he's able to rejoice because he believes that he shares in the sufferings of Christ through his suffering. That's why he rejoices. That's why. Paul's conversion to the faith is recorded in Acts 9, chapter 9. It happened while he was traveling on horse on the road to Damascus. He was going to Damascus to persecute the church. That's where he was headed. And as he was traveling on this road to persecute the church, a light from heaven flashed all around him, knocking Paul off his horse. Then he heard a voice 
while he was laying down on this road. And this voice said to him, Saul, Saul, that's Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so days later, the Lord sent one of the disciples from Damascus to Paul. And this is what the Lord told him to say to Paul. He says, go, for Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Verse 24 is a reality of Jesus' words about Paul's calling and ministry. He's currently suffering for the sake of Jesus' name. And that's not just a unique call for Paul. All believers are called to suffer for the sake of Christ's name if such a time should come. If such a time should come. But do we believe it? But do we believe it? Jesus himself said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. This is Christ speaking. He's telling you this. In this world you will have trouble. In John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Okay, that's Jesus talking to the disciples, but also talking to us. If they persecuted your Savior, do not be surprised when they do it to you, because we're not better than Jesus. Matthew 10, 22, he says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. You will be hated by everyone because of me. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So to suffer for his sake. So let me ask you, is that the gospel the American church presents to people? Is that a path of maturity that the church preaches to the saints? No. We preach comfortable gospel, a comfortable path to maturity, not one that has suffering all woven in it. Because we don't want to talk about that stuff. It's too difficult. Yes, it's a fact that Christ died on the cross for, for sinners. It's a fact that his life and his death and his resurrection makes it possible for you to be made right with God. It's a fact that he died in your place so you won't have to. It's a fact that there is no other name given under heaven by which people must be saved. It's a fact that salvation is found in Christ alone. It's a fact that believers must believe in Jesus by faith alone. It is a fact, and it's also a fact that it has been granted that every believer to suffer for his sake also. That is also a fact. Suffering for his sake means we share in his suffering. It, that means the suffering isn't necessarily about you. When you suffer for the faith, it's about him. This, this is what Paul means by saying, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in his own flesh. He's not adding to the sufferings of Christ. He's not supplementing to the sufferings of Christ. He's not saying there's a deficiency in the suffering of Christ. He is saying, I share in Christ's suffering when I suffer for the faith. Remember what Jesus told Paul. I just read in Acts 9. When, when Paul fell on the road, what did Jesus ask Paul? He says, why are you persecuting me? 
I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, while you're persecuting my people, while you're persecuting my church, he says, why are you persecuting me? When we are persecuted for, the, for Christ, people are trying to eradicate Jesus, not us. It's an attack against him. That's the point. It's an attack against Jesus when we suffer for the faith. That's what it means to suffer for him. That's what it means to share in his suffering. It's an attack against Jesus. That's who it's against. Joseph's son, I think I'll pronounce his name right. Joseph's son is a Romanian, Romanian Baptist minister and theologian. And in the summer of 1977, he stared martyrdom in the face. He, was, he, he, he sat right across the table from it. You see, at this time, Romania was under communist control. And, and, and Pastor Son was a, was a minister, and his ministry was a threat to the system. His ministry was a threat to the communist government. And so the secret police in Romania, they tried to silence him all the time, on many occasions. And so in the late summer of 1977, he had to meet with, with one communist officer who was going to offer him a secular job in hopes to silence him from preaching the gospel. Now, Joseph knew and he understood that going to this meeting with this officer was life or death. He knew if I turned down this offer, it either meant life in jail or immediate death. So he knew that. And so he had a decision to do, make. Am I going to take the job or will I stand upon my calling that God has called me to do? Which would he do? Which would he do? In an interview with the Baptist Press, he recounted this meeting with this communist officer. And this is what he told the officer. He says, now I'm ready to die. You said you were going to finish me as a preacher. I asked my God and, and he wants me to continue to be a preacher. Now I have to make one of you angry. So I decided it's better to make you angry than God. <laughs> but I know, sir, you cannot stand this type of this kind of opposition. And you will kill me either one way or the another. But I accepted that. And you should know that I have put everything in order and I'm made ready to die. As long as I'm free, I will preach the gospel. That's bold. Not many of us will have that type of boldness. I don't know if even I would have that type of boldness. But Pastor Son, he told the reporter that the officer made up his mind. And, and since the officer saw that he was ready to die, he told him he could have it. He said, you can continue to preach the gospel since you're ready to die for it. And so for the next four years, he preached the gospel until they exiled him. He was ready to die for Christ's sake. Why? Because he understood his suffering would be sharing in Christ's suffering. It wasn't that he was a glutton for punishment. It was that he knew that as a believer, there will come a time at some point in our life that we may be required to suffer for the faith. And the only reason he did it because he believed, had this close relationship with Jesus, a faith that was rooted in him, that allowed him to say, I'm willing to actually lay my life down for it. 
he was willing to be a Christian who persevered through suffering. He also says, I am an extension of Jesus Christ. When I was beaten in Rome, he suffered in my body. It's not my suffering, he says. I only had the honor to share in his suffering. Christ's suffering, he says, is for propitiation. Our suffering is for propagation, to sharing the gospel. That's what it means to fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction in your life. That when you suffer for the kingdom, it is you bearing witness to Jesus, to his suffering. And so, as believers, if you want to be mature in Christ, the first thing you have to make peace with is suffering. I will suffer. And you have to be prepared to suffer for his sake. Mature believers are persevering sufferers. And as James says in in James 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, it's no one likes suffering. I don't, none of us do. In fact, we don't like sermons on suffering, if we're honest about it. But Lord, it's part of the call. Yeah, we do go through stuff. But the good news is, Lord, we don't go through it alone. You're with us. Your church is with us. And so I pray that as we go out, some of us are going to have hard weeks coming up. Some of us are going to get disappointed. Some of us are going to get sick. Some of us are going to go through stuff. But as we do, Father, as we struggle through life, help us to know that Emmanuel is with us. That you're with us. Give us the faith to persevere through suffering. Help us to be believers who who are persevering sufferers, Lord, because we know that we're sharing in your suffering as we suffer for the kingdom. So I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your blessings that we have in Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Please stand as we close our service. I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my shame, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord, I'm trading my sickness, I'm trading my pain, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Amen. Oh, yeah. I'm pressed, but not crushed, persecuted.
you did not abandon. Struck down but not destroyed. I'm pressed on the curse for his promise will endure. His joy, his joy is gonna be my strength. So the sorrow may last for a night. Joy comes. Joy, joy comes, comes in the morning. I'm trading my sorrow. I'm trading my shame. I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my pain. I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. We say yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, yes, Lord, amen. We say yes. Yes, yes, Lord, amen. Well, if you're our guest,